0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the war between Russia and Ukraine is happening so far from our country. Sometimes it seems like it may as well be worlds away, but it's not. And it's impacting families and friends right here, including trusted voices like Mila Senina. Mila is a freelance journalist and the former executive director of the news outlet Public Source, and she's got family all over the Russian and Ukrainian borders. (laughs) It's Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Morgan Moody in the CityCast Pittsburgh. Samila, so you're originally from Kazakhstan. What brought you to Pittsburgh? I came here in initially as a graduate student to study at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and you've got family in Russia and Ukraine, too. Where, where are they in um, both of those countries?
1: So my I have um, an aunt who lives in Donetsk, which is the Donbas region, uh, which has been at war for now eight years. Um, I also have a family all across um, Russia Some of them are in Moscow. Um, Some of them are in uh, in the Bashkiriya region. Um, uh, That's that's where they are.
0: And are any of them involved in the conflict at all?
1: No, I mean I think that they are just mainly witnesses. Physically, my aunt is used to living in uh, in the times of war because you know she always talks about how her couch shakes and how she's used to sirens and how. Um, it, you know they have they have had regions of the cities uh, that have been destroyed completely.
0: Yeah, things that that's really no one should ha- ever have to get used to. Um, you wrote a piece for the Independent when Russia invaded Ukraine, and you talked about how behind the real life war, there's like an information war going on as well. So it's Putin's propaganda and how you're afraid of losing your family to that. And I I think that's something that a lot of Americans can understand. What types of things are they reading and seeing in the news?
1: My family, both in Russia, in Ukraine, and in Kazakhstan, mainly consumes uh, Russian uh, news on television. And you know the a lot of people in the post-Soviet uh, world still rely um, a lot on television as their primary source. So because of the law that has been instituted recently in Russia, the words such as the war and aggression are prohibited. They are not, uh, journalists there are not allowed to use words such as war. They talk about um the war as the special, special military operation. They can't call it uh, the war of aggression and invasion, are the words that also are, uh, is the word that also is prohibited. Um, it's also not allowed to be talking about, to question the motive about, uh, of the war. So, you know, for my aunt in Donetsk, it's the war of liberation. Putin is the man of peace um, and is somebody who's going to end the war that has been going on in that region for eight years now. The Russian uh, TV news don't talk about the humanitarian crisis. I mean, only recently I talked to my niece and she was asking, uh, you know, Mila, can you tell me about what you're reading about the refugees? Where's your niece at? my my niece is, is in kazakhstan uh, so she she was saying that you know we don't see we don't see that on our on our news and social networks are also limited i mean in that part of the world the legacy of free journalism, independent journalism, is uh, is very very fragile. I think we have just seen yesterday Novaya Gazeta, that has been a voice of um, independent journalism in Russia, has uh, decided to cease publication for now. Dmitry Muratov, who just uh, recently won the Nobel uh, Prize, uh, shared it with Maria Ressa of the Philippines. I mean, he his newspaper has been has lost, I think, six journalists since uh, two thousand. All of them have been killed under very questionable circumstances. Wow. They have covered different wars of aggression um in Russia. So, you know, it's it's not a friendly space for journalists, for free reporting, for, independent verification of facts because that's one of the tools, you know, propaganda is one of the tools to make sure that totalitarian regime survives. And that's unfortunately the reality in Russia.
0: How does the media landscape there compare to what we have here in the U.S.? Because, you know, we have very we have news from both ends of the spectrum. We have very liberal news. We have very conservative news. And, you know, there's some reporting that you can find in between there that's not biased is russian media like varied at all like that like is there a a channel is there an outlet i mean we just talked about the paper that closed but are there other outlets that people can get unbiased news from
1: my actually my journalism career started in central asia and i myself have been um uh, my, my family and I have been under threat because of the things I, I used to report on. It's life-threatening to do journalism, to do good journalism in that space. Um, so I would say that still people have been um, mustering courage and realizing the mission and importance of truth. In my lifetime, it hasn't been as bad um, as it is today because of the cost of telling the truth. Novaya Gazeta and a lot of, I mean, the New York Times pulled all of its journalists from Russia because they can't cover truth. Like, I mean, in the times of war, you can't call war, war. And that is uh, that is just unprecedented where you can't call things what they are. Uh, you can end up in prison for up to 15 years uh, for reporting truth. And anything can be uh, perceived as if you are undermining the truth of Russian presidency, and then also somehow questioning patriotism of Russian soldiers and the Russian army.
0: How have you felt about your career in journalism since moving to the US? So are you were you covering a lot of uh, things happening in Russia and and maybe able to you know, criticize and and say what was actually happening? And did you feel safe doing that here in the U.S. rather than abroad?
1: It's interesting how authoritarianism works. On one hand, there is um, there is a real threat, right? You're going to you may be jailed. You may be somehow ostracized. But there is also uh, a threat in your brain, right? It operates on the level of fear in that, you know, that you, you never know uh, when it may hurt you. What worries me is that all of the facets of media depend on trust. In 2020, I became a U.S. citizen in Trump's America. And you also start questioning, you know, if you are looking at the media landscape. And yes, it's so polarized today in America and how much the institutions on which democracy depends upon have been threatened.
0: What worries you most about that, about those
1: threats? I I hate to to quote the Nazis, but in a way, I think Goering was somebody who actually said that it's very easy to sell a war or any type of war to people. You just gotta convince them that they are being attacked. As soon as you convince the populace that they are under attack, and you see that playing out in, at Fox in Fo- at Fox News a lot, you see that the enemy is immigrants, you know, um, black and brown people, people who are trying to teach the critical race theory to our kids. Any like it's it's they are at war every day, and the enemy yeah. is always different. So like you can extrapolate that. Uh, what totalitarian regimes are are doing, you know, to their people with big wars like Putin is doing right now, to what how that is being exploited on the micro level through media.
0: So when you hear stories like this from your family, from friends, people that you know, things like that, you know, Putin is a a leader of peace. Do you argue at all? Or, you know, do you do you go back and forth? Do you try to insert any facts that you have into their minds like are are you having that sort of conversation with them
1: it's very difficult for me not to but i have learned that it's not a successful strategy when you're challenging that and say you're wrong you are almost challenging people's identity and who they are Mm -hmm. because they believe in something that has become part of them so when you're trying to say oh i know i know better Right. And and especially like my aunt was saying on the phone to me that, you know, this this is the fault of Americans who are trying to split us apart. I know it's hard for you to hear, but, you know, they're all zombified. And I'm like, who who are you talking about when you say they? Um, Because she probably also means me. Right. That I am zombified by American media. Right. So it's not, it's not helpful for me to get into this, like, no, you're wrong. This is not, you're not seeing, you're blind to this. I don't want to get into the attacks of this, like, you know, I mostly ask questions. I listen, I try to, it's very hard for me. I mean, I, it's, it wasn't always the way that I used to operate. It's very counterintuitive to my, to what I do, but at the same time, I don't, you know, I have made peace with myself that I don't want to lose the people I love over something that we can't have control over. If I win my on my over saying that, yes, Putin is an aggressor and look, there are two brotherly nations that are connected by history. And now they're going to be generations of human tragedy, of kids, you know, not knowing what what life is like in times of peace, like uh, people completely homeless, family separated. It's tragedy. It's such a deep human tragedy. Even if I convince my aunt, what is the real benefit of that, right? And and since that's unlikely, my only uh, real responsibility is to make sure that I stay connected to them. Yes, I ask questions. Maybe I inject some very... Non threatening, you know, what I'm hearing just as an observation, but I would not try to convince them because the realities we live in are so different that where do you start, right? Where do you start yeah. explaining that there are standards of American journalism, that Associated Press journalists are not propaganda of US government? Where do you start that conversation? It takes years and years. But the only thing that connects me with my family is the stories that we share, is the memories that we share. And to me, you know, I know it's a bit naive, but if I lose my family over this, Putin wins. Like Putin wins on micro level. And I don't want tyrants to win. I believe that love is stronger and I hope that I will continue doing what I can to keep connected to the people I
0: love. And how, how does this all feel for you to talk to your family when it kind of seems like they are in a different reality than what you're in? It's
1: emotionally draining. I think, you know, the, the, with the piece that we started with, The Independent, I used the technique of talking about the recipe of borscht because borscht is a dish. It's a beet soup that is both shared by the Ukrainians and the Russians, and although you know my family has you know our home is Kazakhstan, we still we still cook cook borscht and we make it and it's a it's it's the it's the symbol um, of something that brings us together. These are the recipes that we share and it's a connective tissue.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I really like the way you wrote that. So, if you zoom out, how do you think about the conflict? Like, how do you take these conversations and how does it shape your view of the world? I think democracy is fragile.
1: We're seeing right now how hard the Ukrainians are fighting for it. I'm horrified of the prospect of what totalitarianism would look like if it were to come to America because it happens piece by piece and then all of a sudden. I just hope that Americans reflect on what it means to protect democracy and to reinstate it. Uh, You know, democracy is not a destination, it's practice. So you really need to work at it and make sure that you defend it.
0: Mila, thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and certainly wishing the best of luck to your family and friends that are over in Russia and Ukraine.
1: Thank you, Morgan. Thank you for all the questions and for having me
0: on. All right, that was the big news. Now to a little a news bouge, if you will. I went to City Groves last week to get some new plants for my terrarium. A lot of them died during the winter. And at the counter, I saw sunflowers for sale for five dollars. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, sunflowers have become a symbol of peace and a show of solidarity for the people of Ukraine. Very nice. I looked it up and thought that this was pretty neat. The sunflower became the national flower after they were planted around Chernobyl because they helped purify the soil. Anyway, 100% of those city profits will go to the Brothers Brother Foundation in Ukraine. Here in Pittsburgh, the nonprofit River Life says it wants to add trails and parks all over the 15-mile loop of the Golden Triangle over the next 10 years. And it only needs a measly $250 million to do it. So you have that lying around, you can help. The plans include yet another idea for the West End Bridge, which PennDOT has promised to renovate by 2028. But seriously, though, whatever happened to those Esplanade plans? And the Allegheny County Police Review Board is taking new members. So if you're looking to effect change and take on the man, or you know, you have some jurisdiction over a few of them, consider signing up. We'll have the link to that email in our show notes. That's it. We're done here today on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you like the show, tell a friend, but only if you like it, because we're not open to critique. At least I'm not. And subscribe to our morning newsletter because it's amazing. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. We'll see you then. I do too. You know what? You know what happened? You want to hear my bang story?